Today on Ag News Daily. But then as we know, you know, almost 45% of farmland is owned by absentee landowners. And a lot of these folks, um, you know, their parents owned the land. Uh, they grew up um, on the farm and now they aren't involved and they live in the cities. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday. Also, happy Election Day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I'm very excited. As you know, today is Election Day. I'm excited to get this all behind us and start focusing on issues that are actually important. Not that voting and elections aren't important. I know it's one of your two civil duties as a member of the United States, but I am just quite glad that we will be done with the political ads. I, I know you're ready for the political ads to end, Delaney. It kind of makes me giggle a little bit because I know those aren't your favorite thing in the world, but I'm a little bit anxious to see on whether or not we get a final answer on who we are electing to be the next president of the United States, especially with so many mail-in ballots this year. And it varies you know, state to state on whether or not they're going to accept those mail-in ballots if they're postmarked by the third. And I feel like there's kind of a lot to interpret. So I'm just ready to see on whether or not we get you know, a, a clear answer by tomorrow. I really have no idea how quickly that will come together. And I think this year is going to be an interesting one because you're right. So many people did mail in ballots because of COVID-19. So I'm curious to see how they handle all of that. I am as well. And, you know, I'm seeing a few guys talk, you know, about having answers by the weekend and being pretty hopeful about it. But I think it's Ohio that's accepting mail in ballots that are postmarked by November 3rd until November 13th. I I think that's what I saw. My memory is kind of failing me right now, but you know, I, there's so much going on right now that I just can't even form the words on, on what I think. (laughs) Yeah. I, that's interesting. I guess I hadn't realized they had that long to count all of their ballots and put that all together. So I'm not sure how that goes. I mean, that person, whoever it is, whoever our new president is, doesn't step into office until, of course, January. But I suspected that they would have an answer for us uh, pretty much immediately. So I guess we'll wait and see. Absolutely. And I could be totally wrong. And we might know by tomorrow when we record tomorrow's podcast who our president is. But in other news, we can go ahead and move on from that if you want to, Delaney. But one small story that I have just kicking off today is concerning Bayer. The company is facing a double hit from a higher legal bill for claims relating to the weed killer Roundup, as well as 9.25 billion euros, which translate to $10.82 billion in U.S. US money in impairments on agriculture businesses, which was much related to its Monsanto deal. The company said that the write-downs were driven by weaker demand from farmers due to low biofuel prices, plus an increase of about $750 million in the cost of settlement terms with U.S. plaintiffs over Roundup, which resulted in a loss before interest and tax of about $11 billion in the third quarter. So it doesn't really sound like Bayer is doing too hot right now. Oh, it certainly doesn't, Ashton. And another country that's not, or another 
entity, I've given it away, I've given away the punchline now, but another entity that's not doing so well is the country of China. When you look at corn production, we've been talking a lot about their rebuilding efforts of African swine fever or after African swine fever decimated their hug her. And now they're really in full steam ahead mode, which has been great, of course, for their folks who want to eat pork. It's uh, lowered their pork prices domestically, but it has not been favorable for their corn prices. They have seen a huge influx of hungry pigs and needing to feed those hungry pigs, which has set up really a a chain reaction in their fuel market. It has caused some of the biggest oil refineries to rethink their sales strategy. 2020 was supposed to be the year that China issued and fully rolled out their mandate to have E10 nationwide in an effort to, of course, reduce their pollution and support their agricultural sele- agricultural sector. But because now of the amount of pigs coming online in China, they're having a really hard time having that mandate uh, push through here just one month till the end of the year. So it seems unlikely that they're going to get that implemented nationwide. I believe I was reading something that suggested only the eastern part, I believe it was, of the the country was able to get E10 because there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to change. They don't have a ton of ethanol facilities to produce ethanol right now. And again, they're having a lot of animal feed that's taking corn away from being able to produce ethanol and their domestic prices are also skyrocketing. We've seen the Dalian corn futures hit really, really high record levels over the past couple of weeks here and continuing to watch that story uh, unfold. But COVID-19 has also caused some prices there to skyrocket. We've also seen soybeans at a 12-year high. And so it's very much suggested and assumed that China will continue to import U.S. grains, both corn and soybeans, while they're continuing to deal with the fallout from their African swine fever rebuild. Well, Delaney, another story that's unfolding in China right now is the claim that their importers are choosing voluntarily to cut back on Australian goods. Earlier today, China said that reduced imports of Australian products are a result of buyers' own decisions. According to the Australian Financial Review, which cited unnamed sources, Chinese officials met with food and wine importers last week and warned them to not make any new orders for Australian wine and farm products. China is expected to block imports of sugar, red wine, lobster, barley, coal, and copper ore, and concentrates from Australia, which was reported by the South China Morning Post, which cited sources. China has already put a halt up against some Australian products, including timber imports, and I believe they have halts on other ship or other products, I should say, but I can't remember for the life of me right now on what those might be. Um, But a ban on wheat is also expected to come. However, a date has not been set yet. And I got this information from Reuters, but the article states that they could not independently confirm the reports. So it sounds like a lot 
lot is up in the air and possibly open to interpretation between mm-hmm. China and Australia right now. And I don't want to misconstrue any information. That's why I'm openly telling our listeners and you as well, Delaney, about, you know, citing unnamed sources, citing sources. But have you heard anything pertaining to this development and maybe some answers to maybe clarify? Yes, I have been watching this story unfold. And I think really we're at kind of the preliminary part of this story. Or if if you're looking at it from a story perspective, we're still in the uh, what's the part, not protagonist and antagonist. We're still in the very beginning part of this story, uh, yet to see things climax and eventually get resolved, hopefully. But yeah, this could be a very big deal for Australian-Chinese trade relations. And I have not found entirely why this has taken place, but it seems that China has ordered, as you mentioned, Ashen, to stop purchasing at least seven different categories of Australian commodities. Again, ratcheting up trade tensions between the two countries. Um, I guess part of the indication was on Friday, the government issued, the, the Chinese government, I should say, issued them to halt orders or halt any sort of imports as of Friday. But we really don't have a clear-cut answer as to why. There have been some very strained ties, however, between Australia because of the Huawei technologies in 2018 that we've been talking about here consistently on the podcast for the past couple of years. That's one thing that's been um, a nail in this coffin, I suppose you could say. And we've seen relations with them really go on the downhill slide since about April with the coronavirus outbreak. So it seems that folks in Australia are a little upset by this, as well as folks, of course, in in the U.S. have been very upset. President Trump has said as much. But that's kind of where I'm seeing this whole thing fall right now. And I believe that Australia and China do have a free trade agreement or did have a free trade agreement. So this is Again, going to be a it could be a big story, I should say. We don't know yet if it is going to be, but could be potentially a really big story to unfold here. Absolutely, Delaney. And I'm just waiting for it to unfold because it's definitely interesting to me because I I believe that China cited, at least for lobster, that that was a food security issue for them. But I am ready to have some clarification and just some some questions answered as to really what's going on over there. But other than that, I am all out of news for today. A lot of the news was just really dealing with the election and that anticipation. Yes, I agree. There was just one other story that I was watching today looking at Brazilian... Planting. We are seeing them plant at a record pace. About 2.47 million acres of soybeans have been planted as of last week, pushing the country into a record-breaking pace. A couple big things to note here, though, is that there are still a few areas that are struggling just slightly with uh, having some irregular rains. So we saw plantering, planting falter last week in the southern state of Piranha due to some of these quote-unquote irregular rains. But farmers in the Midwest here back home were obviously moving full steam ahead. So we haven't really seen that La Nina pattern make its way up here to the United States. But we are still continuing to watch that story develop in Brazil. 
So as far as other big soybean producing areas, the Monte Grosso state is now 42% planted where it was just 23% a week ago. And they are definitely pushing full steam ahead after having continued delays from that drier weather condition down there. But other than that, Ashton, I tell you what, I'm all out of news myself. Well, with that being said, how about we hop into the markets for today? Let's do that, Ashton. Let's talk markets for today. And seems like the sell-off has at least uh, been calmed for now. We've seen grains recover today after some nervousness, I suppose you could say, about elections. And they were able to pull through today with the December corn contract up three and a half cents to close at 401, the March up four and a quarter to close at 406. In the soybean bits, the November contract adding eight and a quarter cent to close at 1059, the January up 12 to close at 1064. Chicago wheat just slight gains on the day as the December contract added half a cent to close at 608. The, this, the March, excuse me, up two to close at 610. Hopping over to take a look at livestock weakness in the cattle complex today as the December live cattle contract shed 72.5 cents to end at 107.82, the February down 22 to close at 110.30. Feeder cattle down as well as November shed 85 cents to close at 136.12, the January down 87.5 to close at 133.17. And in lean hogs, the December contact Contract shedding 55 cents to close at 65.40. The February up 22 to close at 65.52. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. Higher on the day as the November contract added just two pennies to close at 23.82. The December up 12 to close at 20.23. Ashton, without further ado, why don't we turn it over to our conversation with Stephen Broxius of Farmland Finder. Well, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, joined today by Stephen Broxius, founder of Farmland Finder. And Stephen, we've had you on the podcast before, but it's been a little while. For those of our listeners that are not familiar with Farmland Finder, give us the 10,000 foot view for your company. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great to be on again. Um, yeah, Farmland Finder, uh, we are building an online marketplace for farmland where we can connect landowners directly uh, when they're looking to buy land, sell land, um, or uh, access more acres and, and grow their farming operation. So it's really exciting when we look at introducing technology into the farmland transactional process. Uh, traditionally, it's done by word of mouth. It's done offline. And as we see a lot of trends moving towards um, more absentee land ownership and uh, farmers wanting uh, more creative ways to expand their land base um, and online technology uh, really can fill a lot of needs. So it's uh, exciting times as we look at making farmland transactions online and really excited to be on the podcast today. So Stephen, you've been working on some things since the last time you were on the podcast, and that is including the Farmland Finder Offers platform. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that addition? Really, the offers platform came from an experience I had growing up on a fifth-generation family dairy farm. Um, our family has always looked to expand our acres as we've grown our operation throughout my lifetime. It's always been a challenge to access more acres, whether that's to rent or to buy. And we've seen this need in recent years for 
farmers who are looking to expand uh, to be able to, one, access land that might be available for sale on the market, um, but also sometimes a need to partner with an investor so that uh, they can expand their uh, farming operation without taking on additional debt and still having a really strong balance sheet. And so what Farmland Finder offers does is it enables farmers to expand their footprint, whether they're directly buying um, or if they'd like to get partnered with an investor to um, expand their acres, they can do that as well. And so there's a lot of benefits for farmers directly. Um, but then as we know, you know, almost 45% of farmland is owned by absentee landowners. And a lot of these folks, um, you know, their parents owned the land. Uh, they grew up um, on the farm and now they aren't involved and they live in the cities. And, and these folks a lot of times don't know how to navigate um, the space when they inherit the farm from their parents. And they're trying to understand their options. You know, is, is now a good time to sell? Should I just rent it out? Um, could I um, do something different with this land um, to get a better return? And that's what the Farmland Finder Offers platform does. It helps landowners um, understand their options. And very simply, they can request an offer on their property and receive offers from a private network of verified buyers in as little as a week. And so when entering into this online platform, you know, really it has potential to help a lot of different folks, whether they're farmers, whether they're absentee landowners, really anyone who's looking to buy or sell farmland, um, you know, the technology can really help them do that. And Stephen, you've talked a lot about it from a landowner perspective and maybe it's the way we've talked about it so far, but it sounds like it caters a little bit more to the landowner, at least this new phase, I suppose you could say, this new portion of the platform sounds like it's really heavily geared towards the landowner, but how does it work from a farmer perspective? Do I have to go in and create an account? Do I message landowners that I potentially would like to buy or rent ground from? Great question. Uh, any farmer who's listening, I uh, encourage you to go to farmlandfinder.com. And if you're looking to grow your operation, uh, simply create what's called a buyer profile. On that buyer profile, you'll indicate where your farmstead is, um, the type of land that you're looking for, some parameters around that. And then you can select a couple of options. You can say, I'm looking to directly buy farmland. And then we can connect you to directly with potential land that uh, could be for sale in your neck of the woods. Or you can indicate and say, I'm open to partnering with an investor to um, buy land. And then you'll actually, uh, we'll connect you with an investor to buy some land. And once they've got that land in their ownership, we help to put in a five-year rental contract so that you have a long-term relationship with this landowner um, so that you can continue to farm, you can grow your operation and uh, instead of taking on additional debt, um, now you've got a partner in your back pocket that uh, you can buy multiple farms with and continue to grow your footprint. And so what's really unique is we found this to be really helpful for not only seasoned and experienced farmers that are looking at um, kind of an alternative to um, traditional financing, um, but we've also been able to help a handful of beginning farmers, um, talking with farmer in uh, Indiana, farmer in Iowa, um, folks who... Um, it's really capital intensive to buy farmland and get into this industry. Um, but these young farmers have a desire to farm. And so we're able to connect that young and beginning farmer with an investor so that the investor will buy the farm. Um, the farmer can rent the land from them and they can always do what they've wanted to do, which is um, to, to be a farmer. 
So there's a lot of different ways it can help folks. Um, but at the end of the day, when people lean into the technology and, and try things a little bit differently, um, they can get different results, which are oftentimes desirable um, as we look to the future. And Stephen, I know quite a few folks who have used Farmland Finder to connect with potential folks to buy or rent farm ground from. But when you look specifically here, I'm, I'm at on the website to basically fill out the buyer's profile. It asks you some pretty basic questions, but then there's a couple of questions I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. One of those is how much capital do you have earmarked for the purchase of farmland? And the second question is why are you looking to buy farmland? So those are two fields that are required. And I'm guessing there was a very specific reason why you included those two questions on the form. Will you tell us a little bit more about that? You've implied it a little bit, but I just want to dive into that a little bit further. Yeah. Uh, every time that a buyer profile is created, uh, one of our land support specialists gets a notification and actually jumps on the phone uh, and talks with that uh, prospective buyer to learn a little bit more about them. And so what this beginning of the buyer profile by asking, hey, how much capital um, do you have earmarked to purchase farmland over the next 12 months? Really, it gives that um, our team member the ability to understand, you know, how much land are you looking to buy? Um, are you looking to buy you know, just a, a small amount of land or, or a little bit larger amount? That way we know how to partner you with someone uh, that could help buy more land or we can send you properties that might fit um, you know, your objectives. Um, the question, why are you looking to buy? It's so much fun uh, getting to see a lot of different reasons. Uh, we've seen absentee landowners um, say, I've never bought a farm before. I've always heard it's a really good investment. Uh, you know, I remember going to the farm as a kid. Um, I really want to invest in this asset class. And so it's fun to hear those stories uh, when someone says, I want to buy because it's in my family heritage. Um, you know, when we have a beginning farmer, um, literally we have them saying, I, I want to buy farmland or I want to get into farming um, because of X, Y, or Z. It's something I've always wanted to do. It's been a dream of mine. And so by getting a little bit of this person's story, um, a lot of times, you know, a checkbox or, or just a, a yes or no or data entry field doesn't give us the context to understand why and the story behind uh, the person. And that's really what we're looking for. When we understand that uh, from the profile, then our system can better connect um, you as a potential buyer with properties that might actually fit what you're looking for. And that's why we ask those types of questions. So Stephen, a lot of the testimonials that are coming across the Farmland Finder website are really in the Midwest. So I just want to clarify if the offers program and Farmland Finder is open to, you know, all 50 states or who are you guys serving more specifically? Great question. Uh, we're helping anyone across the United States um, with a majority of farmland, almost 60% of farmland in the country is in the Midwest. That is the sweet spot. That's the focus. That's where uh, we've seen the most activity. Um, but even just in the last 24 hours, uh, we've seen uh, some buyers come in from New York, from Texas, from the Central Valley in California. And so, you know, really as a platform, the beauty of it is it's technology and it can be accessible to anyone who has a smartphone or an internet connection through their computer. Um, but really the, 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 the majority of the activity we've seen up to this point has been in the Midwestern states. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, before we let you go, remind our listeners one more time, your new platform, your new addition to your platform, I should say, how can they find that if they're interested in buying, renting or selling farm ground? Uh, simply go to www.farmlandfinder.com and right on the homepage, you can create a buy profile or request an offer on your farmland. 
Fantastic. Well, Stephen, thanks again for joining us today. Interesting stuff and congratulations on the next step forward for your business. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Again, a thank you to Stephen for coming back on the podcast to talk about the new offers platform with Farmland Finder. And we're always excited to see, you know, folks that we've had on the podcast before really expand their companies and really grow. So thank you again to Stephen and good luck to him on that new venture. Absolutely. Good luck to him indeed. It has been really neat to see his platform take off. And I tell you what, Ashton, I believe he started the company originally while he was still in college. Wow, that gives me a little bit of encouragement as I'm still in college trying to figure out my next step. But we're always looking for interesting conversations to have on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And if you have any interesting conversations that you'd like to pitch to us, please be sure to do so on social media with our tag at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.